if you look at the Bible, especially the Old Testament, you will find out that the Bible is really about the story of Israel, especially the Old Testament. And we see that when we, when we focus on the story of Israel, when we look at the Bible, we see that God is not just concerned about what you do on a, on a Sunday morning. He's not just concerned whether you prayed a prayer in the morning or when you dedicated your life to Christ. God is concerned about everything in your life. We look at Israel, we look at every word God told Israel, and we see that God was concerned about every aspect of the lives of the Israelites. There was no division between God's stuff and everyday stuff. No division between worship and work. It was all God's stuff. It was all worship. Today we'll look at what God told Israel as they left Egypt and prepared to enter the promised land and reflect on what his words mean to us today. But before getting started, let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. I invite you to do so. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for waking us up today and giving us another breath of life, a day where we could wake up See this world that you have created and enjoy the blessings thereof, Lord. I pray for everyone in this room and everyone who is connecting online and everyone who is living their life today. I, I pray that you may remind them of your goodness, that you would remind them of what you have created them to do, that you would remind them that you care. You are interested about not just what they do on a Sunday morning, what they do every day, every moment, every minute. You, you care. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's start today by looking at some passages and reflecting upon them. Then we will look at the big picture of God's law to the Israelites. For those who don't know the story, it would be helpful to understand the context What's going on? If you open up your Bible to Exodus or Leviticus or Numbers or Deuteronomy or even Joshua, if you open up to these biblical books without any understanding, you, you could feel like you're in a foreign nation, like you don't know what's going on, like you're watching a movie starting at minute, minute 45 and having no clue what has taken place. Remember, God created the heavens and the earth. Humans were supposed to continue the creation project, but they rebelled against God, and they continued to rebel against him. But God desired to partner with humans still, even after humans sinned. So he partnered with a specific person, Abraham. Through this person, and to his family, God would continue his creation project. But it didn't look like that looked like Abraham was going to continue this creation project with his family because initially Abraham couldn't have kids. But then he did through God's miraculous power. His son had infertility problems as well. 
but God again helped him. Then his entire family, the entire family of Abraham, ended up in Egypt. But God delivered them and continued to partner with the Israelites. Now the Israelites would leave Egypt and enter the promised land. They would enter the promised land to show the world what it looks like for humans and God to work together. Look at Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 12. Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 12. Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 12. And it says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore, swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he would give you a land with large and beautiful cities that you did not build, houses full of every good thing that you did not fill them with, cisterns with, that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And when you eat and are satisfied, be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. If you read this, you, you read about this land of goodness, this land of beauty, this land that is built and prepared, that is already set up, you should get a sense that this is paradise, that this is somewhat Edenic, meaning that it is someone like Eden. It is already set up. God created, we saw in Genesis 2, he created this garden. It was already prepared for humans. And again, now we see the Israelites entering the promised land. It's already prepared for them. It was in the, like the Garden of Eden, this place was Beautiful Beauty was just overflowing. And just like in Eden, the Israelites would work and see fruit. When the Israelites entered the land, they, they needed to do the same thing that humans were supposed to do in the Garden of Eden. And that was partner with God and trust Him. Look at this verse, these verses in Deuteronomy 8. A few verses later, two, uh, two chapters later, Deuteronomy 8. And it is key to this Eden promised land relationship. Deuteronomy 8, 6 through 18. So keep the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. And, and look at all these garden imagery that we're going to see right here. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams, springs, and deep water sources flowing in both valleys and hills, a land of wheat, barley, vines, figs, and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without shortage, where you will lack nothing, a land whose rocks are iron and whose hills you will mine copper. When you eat and are full, you will bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God by, fall, by failing to keep his commands, ordinances, and statutes that I am giving you today. When you eat and are full and build beautiful houses to live in, and your herds and flocks grow large, so you're thinking right now, they're going to be working, they're going to be multiplying, they're going to be being fruitful. The things that we've heard already in Genesis and it keeps going, and your silver and gold multiply, and everything else you have increases. 
while all of this is taking place, be careful that your heart doesn't become proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its poisonous and scorpion, the poisonous snakes and scorpions, a thirsty land where there was no water. He brought water out of the flint rock for you. He fed you in the wilderness with manna, with which your answers had not known, in order to humble and test you, so that in the end he might cause you to prosper. You may say to yourself, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me. But remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth in order to confirm his covenant he swore to your ancestors as it is today. You see, the imagery of the beginning in the, that we saw in the very beginning of, of Genesis, it, it's similar to what's taking place here. Israel was going to enter the promised land, a good land just like Eden, a land with streams and springs like Eden, a land overflowing with vegetation just like Eden, a prosperous land that God had blessed just like Eden. Adam and Eve were supposed to partner with God. They were supposed to follow God's command, not eat from the tree of knowledge, go and be fruitful and multiply. And we're seeing the same thing again, but now with the nation of Israel. God told the Israelites to keep his commands. He also told the Israelites to enjoy the land, to eat, to build beautiful houses, to grow large families, multiply in finances, to increase in everything. But always remember, God, always remember God. Adam and Eve, it was the same thing with them. Be fruitful and multiply, enjoy God's earth. All at the same time, while you're enjoying God's earth, don't forget about God. While enjoying creation, don't forget the creator. Don't forget the one who made you, the one who made you as we see in creation. Don't forget the one who freed you as we see in the Exodus. Trust in God. Follow his commands. As I mentioned earlier, God's commands reached every area of life. And let's look at some of these commands. Leviticus 19.13, it's uh, before Deuteronomy. And it says, Leviticus 19.13 says, Do not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages due a hired worker must not remain with you until morning. The Christian, thousands of years later, looked at this verse and said, Let no one deny the hireling the wage he is owed, since we too are hirelings of our God, and from him we took, we look forward to the reward of our labor. God's going to pay us our wages. And if you indeed, whatever type of businessman you are, deny your hireling a monetary payment that is a perishable trifle, you shall be denied the reward of heaven that has been promised. You shall not defraud, as the law says, the hireling of his pay. And this is kind of crazy to think about. God gives us our reward. He, he gives us a fair wage. And if we are going to reflect 
can, then we shouldn't deny monetary payment that is fair. We give. We, we don't defraud people. Back in the day, the day laborers were generally poor people who lacked land themselves. They didn't farm themselves. They were dependent on immediate payment for their work. They needed to support themselves and their families. We need our payment. And it's the role of the employers to give proper wages. Employers back then and even nowadays really gave wages that were not livable. It's easy for an employer to lose an employee. But an employee losing their wages, that, that really hurts their livelihood. Losing an employee could hurt the profits of a business, but an employee is replaceable for the most part. Losing a job could hurt one's livelihood. And it could be extremely difficult to find a job that would bring stability. If we are going to bring shalom, if we are going to bring peace and wholeness, we need to give people proper wages. Don't take advantage of people. Don't think, uh, if I could save some money here and still retain these workers, even if I don't pay them, the proper amount that I should be paying them, but I'm saving money, that's, that's a win. No, we shouldn't think like that. We give people livable wages. And it, and it doesn't matter if the people, if, if it's our neighbor, if, if our neighbor happens to be a refugee, an immigrant, a displaced person, a citizen, an immigrant without proper de- documentation, children. It doesn't matter. We give livable Wages. Sadly, many people work jobs where people exploit them just because they can. We don't do that. And it doesn't matter whether if it's in the area of agriculture, landscaping, construction, food service, a small project. We give proper wages. We don't think that this person, say, they are an immigrant without the proper documentation. We, we don't think this person is probably scared of the police, so I could do whatever I want, pay whatever I want, and this person is probably not going to complain because this person's afraid of the police. No, we don't think that way. We give proper wages. Christians should be known as people who get pay proper wages, pay people for what they have worked for. Christians should not be known as cheap stakes. Cheapskates. We look at work and we recognize its value. We recognize that this person is contributing to God's creation project, is pushing forward, and we recognize that. And we know that it doesn't matter who does the work. It doesn't matter where they're from or their circumstances. We We pay proper wages. Do not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages due a hired worker must not remain with you until morning. And let's get a little bit more specific. In Deuteronomy 24, 14 through 15, it's similar, but it's a little, it's more, perfected, uh, more specific. 
Deuteronomy 24, 14 to 15 says, Do not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether one of your Israelite brothers or one of the resident aliens in the town in your land. You are to pay him his wages each day before the sun sets because he is poor and depends on them. Otherwise, he will cry out to the Lord against you and you will be held guilty. Sometimes we look at a person who is poor and think we could pay the person whatever and that person will be happy. We shouldn't think that though. We see the work that the poor does and we give the person his or her wages for the work. We're not cheating people. And again, it doesn't matter if they're a citizen or a resident alien. People deserve proper wages for their work. And we should give them that if we, as soon as we can. It's super important for those in need to get their finances. So we shouldn't be cheap. Otherwise, the needy will cry out to God because we did not give the proper wages. As Christians, we fight against the injustices that rise because of the differences of class and wealth. And one way that we fight against this injustice is, yes, through activism, but it's also, if we have the opportunity, we, we advocate for this, and if we do have the opportunity, if people work for us somehow in any capacity, we give them proper wages. It's sad that churches are known to slave off volunteers without giving them proper wages. They say, you're just working for the Lord and it doesn't matter how much money you're getting. It's sad when it's known that churches and Christian organizations don't give typically proper wages. We're not going to fight injustices by doing this. We don't do this to anyone and we should give proper wages because we value work. Let's look at another verse, Leviticus 19, 35 to 36. Do not be unfair in measurements of length, weight, or volume. You are to have honest balances, honest weights, and an honest dry measure, and an honest liquid measure. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So how are we going to remember the Lord your God who brought us out of Egypt? Well, it's by being fair in measurement. Look, look at these specifics. Fairness and equity are important, and important to God in all areas, including the area of how we report things and how we measure things. Let's not be unfair in measurements of length, weight, or volume. Let's be honest for how much we worked. Don't say you mowed a yard of 2,000 square feet when it was only 1,000 square feet. On taxes, don't say you made less when you actually made more. When you're telling someone to do something, be honest. If you need a job that is big, be honest about it. Don't say that it's a small job. If we are building a 1,000 square feet house and not a 500 square feet room, be honest about that. That is how we partner with God. That is how we bring shalom. If we want to bring shalom, then we have to be honest. Be a person of integrity. Be blameless in what you do. 
If you're selling something, be honest of what you're delivering. Don't deceive people. Don't make exaggerated claims. Don't give misleading statistics. Don't make irrelevant comparisons. Don't make promises that can't be kept. Be blameless. Say the truth. Here's a a story about a woman who worked for a large credit card issuing company. And listen to this story. Her business provided credit cards to poor people with bad credit histories. So that, that sounds good. And although they charged high interest rates, their customer's default rate was so high that they couldn't make a profit simply by charging interest rates. So interest rates, they, they weren't going to make money just through interest by itself. So they had to find a way how they would ensure that they would make money. So they focused on the fees they could charge the customers. Most customers are afraid of debt, so they pay their, pay their monthly balance on time. No fees for um, just the, the woman in the company, company that way. They, they couldn't make money that way because they would pay things on time, pay the bill on time. So, so what they did is they tricked uh, the people. A trick to catch them off guard. So for the first six months, they sent a bill on the 15th of the month, and the bill would be due on the following 15th of the the following month. People would wait until the 14th of the following month, the day before, so they could have enough money to pay off the bill on the 14th because it was due on the 15th. And the company recognized this. They would send it to the 15th. It would be due on the 15th of the following month, but people waited until the last day. So on the seventh month, they sent their bill on the 12th, and it was due on the 12th of the next month. Most of the people didn't notice the change. They, they continued to send the payment on the 14th as usual, because they thought that it it was due the 15th, but the company secretly changed it to the 12th. And that's how they got them, because now the customers were late, since they paid it on the 12th, on the 14th instead of the 12th. And now they were charged $30 for the late payment. Also, because they were delinquent and late, the company could raise their interest rate. And that each month after that, they generate more and more fees. What this company was doing was sinful. It's wrong. They were profiting not by giving them a service or goods. They were profiting by deceiving people. That is not how we bring shalom. That is not how we continue the creation project. We are honest about our services and how we make a profit. We also talked about, in the passage we read, and also in Deuteronomy, it talks about weight and measurement, and being honest about that. Back then, people would weigh things often so they could determine how much it's worth. They would put maybe gold right here and something else, grain, so they could just measure things. And sometimes people would trick people. Uh, they would trick one another. They would use a heavy bag, 
bag and a, and a lighter one and trick it in the last moment, switch it in the last moment to, to deceive people and, and making it seem that they're buying a heavier bag of grain, but they weren't. And God speaks about this. Don't do that. Be honest. God said if you're dishonest, it's detestable to the Lord. It's wrong when a person rips off another person. That does not further the creation project. And one more verse before we reflect on this entire picture. It's an interesting verse. Um, it's Deuteronomy 25.4. Deuteronomy 25.4. It goes with this ox that we see here. And it says, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. Essentially, they would use ox for work. And in this verse, we see Moses. He is the author of most of these writings. And he is concerned about, and so is God, about the oxen getting enough to eat, getting their fair share when they work hard. Don't muzzle an ox. Don't cover them so they can't eat. Don't cover their mouths. Let them eat even while they're working. Apparently, God cares that we show love and kindness to all his creatures, including animals, especially if we are going to partner with animals to work. Let them get their fair share for working hard. The, the, the idea is like just because we are higher, we are the climax of creation. We are higher in this creation structure. Just because this is the case, it doesn't mean we treat animals with less respect. A different way of saying this is just because you see yourself in a higher social class or position, maybe it's work or something like that, that, that doesn't mean that you disrespect those whom you perceive to be beneath you. And it's crazy. We look at all these different images. It's crazy to think about how extensive God is in his address to the Israelites. And we only maybe got 1% of all the things that God had said to the Israelites. He includes things about work, about animals, about measurements. We might think these things are secular and have nothing to do with God. These measurements, what I do at work, it has nothing to do with God. How I treat animals, nothing to do with God. But yet, God talks about it and instructs people to deal with these things in a way that brings shalom. As I've been telling you for the last couple of weeks, God has made you to be someone to do something with all you have. And God is not disconnected from your career or your job. It's wrong to divide things as sacred and secular. It's not biblical. When we think things are sacred or secular, we think that secular things don't matter to God. Since work is secular, then it doesn't matter what we do at work. It does matter to God. It all matters. It is all spiritual. Church, prayer, reading are only maybe 5% of our lives. 
we look at it through the lens of time. Most of life, we could say the secular, like grocery shopping, walking the dog, cutting your toenails, reading, relaxing, exercising, that, that's about 95% of your life. Are we going to say that God is only concerned with 5% of our lives, the, the church, the prayer, the Bible reading part? No, he is concerned about 100% of your life, every day life. God cares about how you work, how you rest, how you play, how you unwind, how you enjoy God's world. It matters to God. What you do is significant. How you're changing the world, it's critical. How you're changing diapers, how you're answering emails, how you're tweaking an Excel spreadsheet, how you're grading, it all matters. You know what? I think we need to hear this. You might think God doesn't care about how you do your work because you think it's, it isn't sacred. You think it's secular. But no, God does care. And he loves seeing you enjoy your work. And he loves seeing you be proud or happy about the work that you just did. He loves it when you do a good job. He also loves it when you rest and you go home and drink your favorite drink and watch a good movie while resting, with a, resting well with a great meal. Don't feel ashamed. This is human. This is spiritual as well. You know, in the Hebrew language, the language of the Old Testament, you will not find in the Hebrew Bible, in the Hebrew language, a word for spiritual. There's nothing in the Old Testament that says spiritual. No word for it. Why? Because there was this assumption that everything was spiritual. It's like everything mattered. Jesus saw everything as spiritual. Jesus saw God to be close with us, that he was close with us, and everything we did. For Jesus, as John Mark Comer said, for Jesus, God wants to be involved in every square inch of our lives because everything is spiritual. Everything matters to God. This idea of secular and sacred doesn't come from the Bible. It actually comes from Plato and the Greeks. Plato influenced a lot of how Westerners think today. He thought that the physical world was separate from the spiritual world and that the physical world was bad, but the spiritual world was good. Followers of Jesus... Think, didn't think of the world as, you know, heaven and hell and separate in that sense that heaven is something that happens after earth. But they saw heaven and earth together as one, and through the cross, they're coming together. They had a worldview that came from Jesus, from Genesis and from Jesus. 
planet Earth, with all of its problems and issues, was good, just as God had said. It's good. In the very beginning, in Genesis 1, we saw that God saw that all that he made and said that it was good. Earth is good at its core. And in spite of all its imperfect, imperfections, it's home. The great hope for Jewish Christians wasn't to die and then go somewhere else called heaven and become like an ethereal orb that your body degrades and your soul flies off to some spiritual world that we call heaven. The hope for the early Christians was the hope of the resurrection, the bodily, corporal, flesh and blood, dirt under your fingernails, resurrection. The resurrection that we saw with Jesus when he resurrected. And we will bodily resurrect and enjoy life in this physical world, heaven and earth, together. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We don't pray, take us to heaven, Lord. Let us stay in heaven, Lord, never to see earth again. No, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. The earth is important. The physical is important. There is no divide between secular and sacred. It wasn't until Christianity reached cities that were known for Greek philosophy like Athens and Rome as well. It wasn't until then that these ideas of dualism, of of Platonic thinking, of sacred and secular thinking, then, it was then when this started to infiltrate the minds of Christians. It hit the church pretty hard during the Middle Ages. A, a calling, something that was spiritual, was only reserved for the spiritual world, for the church. If you wanted to do something spiritual, something that really mattered, something for the kingdom, then you had to become a priest, or a nun, or a monk, or a theologian. Only those jobs were considered spiritual. But hard work outside, that was secular. You don't serve the Lord that way. You only serve God within the walls of the church. And that's so wrong. That's so foolish, because as we looked, things, every everyday type of things, work that we do every day, all of that mattered. It was so wrong to think that only what we do within the church mattered, within the four walls of a church building. Now, the kingdom work that involved everything in the garden, everything that we see here, the kingdom work, they had had this perverted thinking which said that it was only reserved for a few hundred people who sang songs in a nice building or an hour every weekend. And that's sometimes how we think about it today, that that's kingdom work, what we do here. And that is kingdom work, but there is more. The Protestant reformers started to think biblically again in this area. 
They wanted to reform the church from the inside out. And they went to war with this idea of sacred and secular. The verse that they used was a verse Peter said while he was quoting multiple Old Testament verses. When Peter was talking to the entire church, Peter said in 1 Peter 2.9, he's talking to the entire church, not, not just the pastors, but to the entire church. He said, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a royal priesthood. Priests, servants of God, are not just those who work within the four walls of the church. You who call yourself a Christian, you are a priest. You are a servant of God. Just by doing what you are doing. You say you're a farmer. Nice. You're also a priest. You say you're a dentist. Cool. You're also a priest. A construction worker. Also a priest. A student. Also a priest. John Mark Homer wrote, You mediate between the creator and the creation. You are his representative. You pass his blessing on to people who know him and to others who don't. And you're called. What you do matters to God a whole lot. Your work is your ministry. You're a priest, and your work is your service. How you work is how you serve God. Will you be honest in your work or dishonest? What do you think about when you hear full-time ministry? You might think of a person who works for the church full-time. But did you know even if you're working full-time, even if it's not for the church, you have a full-time ministry. You're a construction worker? Great. That's your ministry. Ministry just means service. It's what you do to further the creation project. We need to fight this idea of sacred and secular thinking. Stop putting God in a box he cares about your work, how you exercise, how you interact with others. He's not just something we think about every Sunday for an hour. He's involved with our entire lives. You're not just a Jesus follower only in the church. You are a Jesus follower everywhere you go. How you shop, how you spend your money, how you consume, how you overwork, how you get burned, how you burnt out, how you have toxic relationships, how you treat animals. It matters. Let God take it all and do it all for God. Partner with Him, be 
aware of his presence in everything you do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us for putting you in a box and just thinking that you only care about maybe 10 or 5% of our entire lives. You care about it all. Lord, let us live as we we recognize that truth, that you care about it all. You care about what we do, even if we're not a pastor, or even if we are not a minister within the church. You care about that. You care about how we clean, how we do the lawn, how we do our work, how we practice, whatever we do, you care about that. And through that, we worship you. Let us be aware of that and let us be intentional and recognize this is for God. This is for you, Father. I pray that you may be with us and that we may be aware of your presence in everything that we do. Aware that you are with us and let us do things with the awareness of you. Let us partner with you in our work that looks like it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to be jamming Christian music the entire time, putting Kayla on the radio and making all of our coworkers listen to the music. What it means is, as we see with the nation of Israel, it means that we're honest. It means that we do our best. It means that we're people of integrity. It means that we're not trying to deceive people or trying to profit people. It means that we do things as you want us to do it. Honest, our best work. Let us partner with you in our jobs and everything that we do when we rest. Let us be aware of you. In Jesus' name, we pray.